Hey, it's Fran Harris, founder of Athletes Who Mean Business. Our company empowers current and retired athletes to monetize their brands and expertise and build big businesses. This show answers one question. How can you leverage your sports celebrity and even non-sports talent and skills to have greater impact, influence, and income? If you're ready to play on a bigger stage, you're in the right place at the right time. Be sure to subscribe and review the podcast. Here's today's episode. Hey everybody, this is Fran Harris. I am very excited to have Dr. Deborah Harris on the show today. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, author and ordained minister. She made her national television debut on BET's show, College Hill. She was also the guest psychotherapist on VH1's hit show, Basketball Wives. She is a retired family therapy professor. Dr. Deborah is also a relationship expert, advocate for inclusion and spiritual thought leader with over 45 years of experience in church, community, education, and corporate interfacing. Dr. Deborah engages a diverse professional clientele with her extraordinarily inclusive approach to relationships, classroom instruction, community building, and leadership training. Dr. Deborah is also my sister. We co-authored a book together, Bullyproof My Company, How to Squash Unproductive Behavior and Create a Culture Where Everyone Can Win. Deborah and I have traveled the country speaking on topics that include diversity and inclusion, championship team building, and of course, bullyproofing our work and living spaces. And we believe the conversation you're about to hear is important to developing some solutions and some remedies for what's happening in our world today. Have a listen. So Dr. Harris, this is a very challenging time in our world for a lot of different things, but I want to bring this conversation to a world that is has been a part of my life for 30 plus years, and that's athletics. I'm seeing a lot of my friends talking a lot to friends, colleagues, and clients about the climate right now for athletics and how much has changed. Most folks want to talk mm-hmm. about the impact on football, and I want to talk about the impact on people. And so given what's happened with the murder in Minnesota a few weeks ago, so if you had to support an athletic director right now, you could give them one piece of advice right now. What would you tell an athletic director in this climate about supporting staff and student athletes? My first thought is usually when I have clients like this that are stuck and don't know what to do, they really don't know how to say what they need to say. So I usually give them uh, like a general script of what it should sound like. And the sentiments are, one, is that you are, you listen from a place, you ask questions and you listen from a place of, I just have no idea what's going on with you. And I, I am in a position where I'm not being affected the way you are. So let me just be available and, and give you a platform to say what's going on with you, what's on your mind, what's on your heart, so that. I can at least get some sense of what it's like for you. Now, that's the general sentiment of what I offer. But a lot of times people just can't find the words and I give them a script. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what I would say is if I were you <clears throat> in your position and, and assuming that I am a not a person of color, if I'm a person of color, I would say something different. As if I'm not a person of color, I would say this. So I give you both scenarios because I know we have both. First one is to a person who's not of color, I would say I take a long, deep breath. And then I would say I 
am at a loss for words as to what to say to you guys right now. I know that this does not look good. I also know from what I know from the news and not just from this incident, from other incidents, that this is not brand new. If I allow myself to think about the history of what it's like to be a black person in America, I know this didn't just get started. Um, I, I know, you know, I know about I just know about American history and black history together. Now, let me say with having said that, I don't know everything I need to know, but I got a general sense. And I know it's been terrible for black people. So with that, I'm, I'm just going to ask one question. And then all I ask is that, you know, one person talk at a time and you just share with me individually or as a group, however you choose to, what's going on with you and what I can do to support you as you go through this, period. And that's and so that's me saying that to them as a person who, you know, is on the outside with very little experience, you know, no visceral connection to what's happening like they do something general they can say to open up the conversation but you got to, you can't ignore it you can't you can't be like a deer in the headlights you got to just open up your eyes open up your heart if you care about these people and allow them to have their say cuz that's losing a voice is what happens too many times when when people are distraught and they feel victimized and nobody is listening so give them a voice if I were a director of color, I would say, if I'm a director of color who's connected to this experience, because not all of us are, so I would say, um, okay, we know this is not new for us, but we have colleagues who, who have not gone through what we've gone through. They don't know what we're experiencing. So if you want them to hear you when you say something, you need to calm down. Get your thoughts together, get your heart in, in the right space so you can just say, let me explain to you why we are responding or why we have attitudes. Whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever you're doing, just understand that they don't know what you know. They're not feeling what you're feeling and they'd rather not think about it because who wants to know that they're in a position of privilege and that gives them certain rights and 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 freedoms that that you don't have. So I don't, so so just know it's hard for them. I know it's hard for y'all to hear. Just know it's as difficult for them as it is. It is. The slave owner, the slave, the slave him or herself, they're in it together. So we're in, the, in this together. So you got to think about them, not them versus us. You got to think about it's all of us. So don't hear me saying I ain't selling out. I ain't saying I don't care. I'm not saying I don't know what it's like. I'm saying we still got to figure out how are we going to get through this without losing the commitment that we have with our colleagues who don't quite get what we know? All right. So one of the other challenges that that's happening around the Mr. Floyd's death and murder mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that we have athletic departments who obviously are coexisting. And in many athletic departments, unless it's an HBCU, historically black college or university, right. these are predominantly people who who are not of color. And mm-hmm. so there are assumptions that are made sometimes by the people of color about mm-hmm. how the people who are not of color feel about right. a situation. How can we how can we in smaller groups approach this conversation? It is clearly the red dot in the room and right. nobody's saying anything. Yeah. 
that leader, and I'm assuming this is a leader that cares about his or her people, they need to do some self-reflection. Because if they haven't done something already, they got the question, why haven't I done something already? Something. So they need to first think about themselves and how they feel, what they're thinking, and come to grips with whatever that is. Honestly, people know when you're not real. They know when you're being PC, politically correct. They know that. So if, and I'm assuming that these people really care about their people, staff, team members, whomever, colleagues, they have to come to grips with their own stuff to even begin the conversation. And then the next thing they would it would it wouldn't hurt them to do is get a coach themselves, somebody to advise them on how to present themselves, and somebody to probably even be in the room when they open these conversations, so that when they feel overwhelmed and they can't they can't handle what's going down, what's being said, they have somebody there to kind of you know calm everybody down, get everybody on the same pages of listening and hearing. And then so they can move forward. So they need they need help, quite honestly. And and it's to me this speaks to the whole diversity and inclusion movement that supposedly has happened in our country. A lot of people are getting paid to do that work, but it's it's ongoing work. In one shop, workshop, one book read, one it's just not enough. And so it has to be an ongoing process of learning, knowing, listening, hearing, identifying, empathizing, being compassionate, all of that. So they need to get some personal coaching, I would say, and then enter that conversation with some knowledge. And I know this is one of those emergency kinds of things, so they might need to call somebody just, you know, I don't know what to do. I need you to come in here and and at least get us going. Before they do that, because it's already happening, what is it, the gate is already open, they could just email everybody and say, I know what's going on. We're working on figuring out how we're going to approach it. So just know that I know that I'm not in the dark about this and I'm and I'm trying to do put something together that can be productive for all of us. Yeah, here's here's a real interesting dynamic that's happening right now between athletic staff and their athletic directors and coaches and their student athletes. And it's the same dynamic, maybe for different reasons, maybe for similar reasons, is that many student athletes feel who are coached by white, who are coached by white or other non POC mm-hmm. uh, individuals feel like the silence is deafening. You're Mm -hmm. all on social media when I'm, when I'm Mm -hmm. scoring touchdowns and when Mm -hmm. I'm signing Mm -hmm. my big contract. But Mm -hmm. when something happens that affects me to the core, that affects my community, you're Mm -hmm. silent about it. Mm -hmm. And the silence is deafening. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how do you support those student athletes? Let's start with them. Let's, how do you support those student athletes and staff members who are feeling (laughs) that the people who are leading them Mm-hmm. all of a sudden have nothing to say. You know, um, I went to a predominantly white institution and I can't, and I'm an African-American. All my, as far as I know, my, my ancestors were American slaves, African slaves. So with that in mind for the, for the person of color with, who has a history in, in this country that goes back to, to the American slave trade, they, they have, and I would just say, you guys have some sense of what it's like to be an African-American. You you know that. you And I know you love your colleagues and you love your coach and you love your staff. People, y'all got great relationships. But this this distrust is still there and you know it. You, you, and we know it. It's hard to, it's, 
it, it too many things keep happening for you not to know it and feel it. So all you need is something to go wrong for to to remind you that oh yeah nothing has really changed. So I would invite them to consider the, their knowledge of both sides of the equation because I think as African Americans we are always looking at our part in it, but we always saying well you know and I'm quoting you know white folks you know you can't trust them you know what did you expect? So if you with that kind of dual citizenship you will do a knowledge do a consciousness you have to calm yourself down and just know what you've always known is that just like you don't trust they have these ideas about who they think you are and that is you know angry black person and so and that sterilizes them that keeps them from doing anything because first of all now i got to come to grips with the fact that somebody i really care about is mad at me just because i'm white and but then I got to come to grips with my own whiteness and my complicity in this thing by not saying something and man a woman up and and open up the dialogue because I really do care. And I got to get over myself. That's for them so that I can start this conversation. But back to the athlete, they have to realize they got to call on what they've been dealing with the whole time to hear. And that is understanding of how it is, knowing how it is, then you might have to, if you care, you and your coach or director have a good enough relationship, you ought to be able to go and say, you know, I know you know what's going on, so let me tell you what's happening. And then anybody's going to say nothing to you, but I'm going to tell you what's going on in the locker room or when we mm-hmm. meet in the dorm or what have you. And so you got to do something. <laughs> you can't just not do anything. I know it must be hard for you, but you cannot do this because they need you to speak up. The other thing that comes up that's coming up right now is that you have these relationships with white people who believe that they are somehow, (laughs) you know, in the struggle with you. And Mm -hmm. therefore, when you start telling them how you feel, they take over the conversation and start telling you, oh, I know. And this, and then you're just like, okay, um, you don't know. You don't know. Why is it so difficult for our white (laughs) brothers and sisters to just shut up and listen just listen yeah it's hard to hear it's so hard to hear it's hard to come to grips with it just like we wish we were not slaves they wish their people were not slave owners you know (laughs) they're just as much uh in pain as we are just a different kind and so it's and then of course we know the white supremacy mindset they think they're smarter than we are yeah on so many levels, yeah. and and they're used to silencing us on so many levels, whether they know it or not, they are. And so, but we know this. And so you'd have to just either stop them, but in answer to your question, they need to shut up because they need to know that they don't know. There's a lot of stuff they don't know. Right. You know a lot of stuff, but you don't know this. You, you, and if you think you know, still, you're not the one who's been pillaged. You're not the one who's been raped. You're not the one who's been whose brother or uncle or dad has been killed. You are not. And that person doesn't look like you and it doesn't keep happening to you. So you do not know. So shut up. Mm-hmm. That's and they and that's where their own white supremacy comes into play in this that they think they don't have. Right. You think, you know, you think you're smarter. Yep. And when you think, and this black, white, whomever, when you think you know, you don't listen. You just talk. And you get nowhere. And it, nothing changes because you're not listening. And not only just setting up, but you got to open up your heart and your mind to what the person is saying to you. You can't just be, whoa, you know, can't be that Charlie Brown sound. It has to be, 
How do I open myself up so I can hear them when they're talking? As painful as it is for me, help me. Help me. Mm-hmm. Help me to calm myself. Help me to shut up the noise in my head that, that says I don't want to hear because I'm tired of hearing this. Or I don't like feeling the way I feel when I hear this. It's time to really it's time to love the other person. It's time to care more about them because they're the one in pain than you care about what it does to you. Yeah. This is truly or trying to be. I, I wouldn't call it humane because I don't think humans do very humane things. I would say I would have to say beyond humane, godly, if you will, spiritual, whatever, something other than human, because mm-hmm. we see what humans do. I believe also one of the reasons our friendly white brothers and sisters start talking is that they are trying to convince us in that moment. See, I'm not like them. See, I do get it. See, I am in the struggle with you. See, I do have a different consciousness and they don't realize that by continuing to talk and continuing to try to be the loudest voice in the room on a topic in which they have no knowledge and no experience really that they, they, right. That they actually prove the other point. Like you still think, you know, more, even right. on a topic that you haven't experienced, you still think you know more and that you know better. So yep. let's say, Dr. Harris, you were educating and uh, helping an institution and they basically wanted to get all of their non people of color in the room for the training. Because sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. when we are all in the room together, mm-hmm. they are silent. The white people mm-hmm. are silent because they feel mm-hmm. I can't even express how I feel. I can't mm-hmm. say anything. It's inappropriate for me to say anything. How would mm-hmm. you train an all-white athletic staff? That's a great question to ask me right now. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, because I've had to train diversity classes about, and, and every we talked about every kind of ism you can imagine, and it hits somebody in the room at some point, and you can see it on their faces. Yes. And... The, what I found to be successful for me in doing that is how I do it. And I'm a therapist by training and I'm a professor of family therapy by training. And so I've been trained to be therapeutic in the way I approach people about difficult stuff. That's how I would do it. It is acknowledging that basically allowing them to have a voice in what's going on with them. Like we don't know what to say or we feel bad or we feel guilty or we feel whatever you feel allowing that. And then listening to that and then basically saying, but can you imagine what it's like for your black colleague or your black coach or your black uh, student, student athlete, what they must be going through. So it's training them quite honestly to be therapeutic and how, I'd have to use therapeutic skills to train them how to do the thing that I'm saying they should do. And with that approach, that opens people up. If I have a client and I've had clients, both, you know, somebody is clearly guilty, but they won't be able to hear me if I talk to them the way their spouse or their partner is talking to Mm -hmm. them. I have to take a total different approach and, and it's not hard for me because I know what it's like to be guilty in the room and ain't nothing you can say, but I was wrong if you can say that. And so how I approach them would make the difference in having the conversations that we need to have. And I, I have to put everything on the table like I'm a black person. So let's not get lose sight of that. Yeah. Um, you might struggle with a black person being up here. 
trying to tell you anything, so let's not lose sight of that. So all of the things that come to bear on that relationship, I will bring it out, and then I would have to gain their trust by how I do it. And only in gaining their trust will they begin to say what they really think when they know there's nothing to lose in the room Mm -hmm. but some pride or some, uh, you know, guilt, possibly. A lot of times people get relieved of that when they realize that all they have to do is just acknowledge what they're doing and how they need to do something different. I had someone, several people yesterday, say that they didn't think that the looting that is happening around the country is the answer. Mm-hmm. And and these were all white people. They said, mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's terrible what happened to George Floyd, but I just don't think that the looting is the answer. How do you respond to that? I would say you're right. Really, so far, nothing is the answer. I would say you're absolutely right. It's not the answer. That's not going to change anything. The man is dead and a whole lot of other people are dead, period. It's not going to change that. But let me invite you to consider a disenfranchised, oppressed people who makes a nickel for every dollar you make. Let me just let's let's consider that. And is this happening in every black neighborhood? What neighborhoods is this happening in? Let's consider the economics here. And so maybe these people are looking for an excuse to, to even the playing field on something about something. Maybe they tried to vote and that didn't work. Maybe they tried some other things and that didn't work. And they need some relief. That's me. I've never lost in my life. I don't even know nobody personally has done it. But I'm trying to, all I can do, while I agree with you, all I can do is make sense of why these people would take this approach to this problem and invite you to consider while it's not good, the answer is not going to make sense, but let's consider the context of these people's lives. That's all you can do, unless you're looking for a reason to further demonize them with your comments about why you don't think it's the... Because what that sounds like to me, you see black people, that's what it sounds like to me. So I can't imagine what a person who's looting would, would think if you said something like that to them. Yeah, yeah. My response was this, and I'm going to read my exact words. I said, if you lived one year as a black woman or man, you'd understand the buildup of frustration and anger at how your life is viewed in a country that your ancestors actually built. You'd have a sense of the rage when someone is unlawfully killed by a person who acted as if they were killing an insect, a nuisance. That is what's behind any and all of the backlash your people may have experienced over the looting comment. They actually probably, you know, we probably don't disagree that Mm -hmm. looting is not the way that hurting people, hurting innocent businesses is not the way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, But the irrational rage is the most powerful tool that we have. Even the people doing it know it's not right, but it's Mm -hmm. the most tangible expression of power that they know. So, Mm -hmm. Please reread this. My white friend said the same things you said. And I said, here's what you said, what you said, why what you said will inflame every black person, every black friend you have. I agree with you, but I also understand why this is happening. Centuries of white privilege mm-hmm. has made y'all oblivious to our plight. You, you tend to see these actions through the rational eyes of people mm-hmm. who had a 400 year head start, who have no idea what it's like to be subjected subjected to biases that impact every aspect of your life, finances, education, relationships, healthcare, opportunities. 
Read this again and you might start to empathize with why looters do what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that Amen. was too. <laughs> Amen, sister. Uh, um, so, you know, I'm with I'm with them. I said, hey, I agree. Like, it's irrational to go hurt people who haven't hurt you. But if you feel oppressed, if you if you have experienced the the disadvantages to the nth, nth, nth upon nth degree, you're going to you're going to lash out. And I go and you're looking at this through your privileged, rational white eyes. Like you can't possibly see. So stop acting like you understand why what's motivating this because you're looking at it from a standpoint of a, this makes no sense. It doesn't. But nope. neither does what you're doing. Yeah, neither right. neither does the killing, the senseless killing of black right. folks doesn't make right. sense to us. No. Nope. No. Nope. It doesn't make sense to us. Is it possible for us to come together in athletics? At this time, I mean, athletics is probably the most diverse place. This is a place where we at least besides, yeah, not even churches. We're more segregated than churches, but athletics is where we can pretend to sit together and be together and pull for the same team. Is it possible to move to another level in our unity at this time in athletics? And how would we do that? You know, it is possible, but not without hard work. Not without hard work. Um, Not without training. Not without open discussions that are real and 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 authentic and and honest, you know, black black people on that on the staff, a part of the group, would have to speak the truth as they know it. The white people would have to be able to do the same thing, yeah. And then contextualize that whole thing. This is our, this is America. This is how it goes. This is what's been happening ever since black people got here. So this is not new. It's supposed to be happening. Get that right. Y'all think this is the land of the free and the home of the brave, but some people have some other words to describe this country, and I'm one of them. So, and I'm no different from the people that you are working with. So if you if you really want to get past this, and this is a this is really metaphorically the whole country, to get past this is to just be honest about what is happening why it's happening, and why it's not ever going to change if we don't change how we respond to each other. And it, particularly to the victimized and oppressed, period. And in, until you're willing to let go of some stuff, and that includes some privilege and some money and some other stuff, it is never going to change, and, and your great-great-grandkids will have the same conversations one day because you refuse to acknowledge what really needs to change, and that is you. Uh, speaking of training, and one of the things I said to a good friend when she asked me about, you know, what they could do in athletics, I said, well, first of all, <clears throat> you've got white coaches coaching black, mostly black athletes in certain sports. And I said, and I guarantee you that 99.9% of those white coaches have never had mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion, sensitivity, cultural sensitivity training. I guarantee you they have it. So I go, you presume to know how to coach me, but you don't know really anything about me or where I came from, or you don't care to engage yourself in higher education about leading me better, mentoring me at a higher level, because it is your white supremacy that makes you think you already know how to handle me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, the arrogance, the arrogance you know, the arrogance of white people to think that they can lead us without knowing mm. us, that they can lead us without any education. I go, it is the ultimate slave owner mentality. Mm. 
Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> she was silent. She said, that is a very good point. And I said, oh, it is. That's right. And Thank I just you. continued doing what I was doing. But that, that right there, the opportunity, because a lot of times when things happen in the country, the black kids on these sports teams, of course, they go to their, their black mentors, their black coaches on staff, their black mm-hmm. academic people or whatever. There is a reason they're not coming to you. And you thought y'all had this really great relationship. That says something. If they're not going to their white coach as soon as something happens, that tells you something. Yep. yep. And and you, you need to, <laughs> you know, exactly. Like they may, they love you. They may be like, I love coach. They high-fiving coach. They're hugging. They're eating dinner at coach's house. But when shit goes down in my community, I'm probably not going to my white coach. Mm-hmm. And if you are, that's a, that's a rarity. And it's a, and it's a cool thing when you can mm-hmm. go, Coach, I got to tell you what's happening. I mean, that's the ultimate to my, to me is to oh, be able yeah. to come with you, to come to you yeah. just like I'm going to my people and say, yeah. listen, coach, this shit is wrong. This is not okay. And let me, and even before something goes down, going to your white counterparts and teammates and friends or whatever and talking about that. For me, that is the ultimate. Mm-hmm. Is when we we always talking about this stuff. We're not waiting for somebody to get murdered to talk about it. We're always talking about being kinder to all people of all kind of all colors and yeah. all you know sexual orientation and identities. We, we should be talking about this all the time. Yep. Not just when stuff happens. I want to close with the question that most people ask when these things happen: Will it ever get better? And how does it ever get better? I have no idea. I have to say that because the the system is too invested in himself, in itself. It's too invested in itself. It's too invested in being in and uh, in control, in charge, pulling the you know strings, you know pushing the buttons. It's too invested in being supreme. I mean, every major institution in this country would have to change how it does what it does. Beginning, I say, with the church. You know, governmental systems, educational systems, they're all complicit in it. You know, the financial system, all of of them are complicit in it. So every major institution system in our country will have to undergo the same thing we just said this this athletic uh, group needs to go on, undergo. Because... That the, the problem is way deeper than uh, what I think about white people and what white people think about me. It's, it's much deeper than that. So if it were to happen, that would be how it happens. I totally agree with that. And one thing I would add is, and I was thinking about this as I was watching my 20 minutes of news. That's all I will watch because I don't want to get inundated on the negativity and the bad news. Is that right. one additional way that we can start to improve these things is through accountability. It's through greater mm-hmm. accountability. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. so let's say we look at what happened in Minnesota as the latest example. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the guy murdered Mr. Floyd and there there has to be different levels of accountability. He has to be held accountable, but right. then the group he belongs to professionally has to be held accountable. And that means the police department and then the group they belong to. And we just keep going up. And the Mm -hmm. problem is that we don't have enough straightforward accountability. 
Mm-hmm. We don't. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough accountability. When something happens, you know, we, we want to put out the fire really quickly, but we're not really stamping out the root of the problem. Now, we're not yep. going to change people's hearts. That is a reality. As you just said, Dr. Harris, it, people are going to believe what they believe because it's in their best interest to keep right. It's in their best interest to keep believing that they're better. But what mm-hmm. we can do is handle up, as we say in the mm-hmm. community, we can handle up when they behave in a way that is not that is not conducive to what we want in our community. And I mean the bigger community of, of the United States or whatever, wherever mm-hmm. you're talking and where you live. So mm-hmm. your your beliefs are one thing, your actions are another. When your beliefs turn to harm and danger and cruelty to the people of the greater community, then we can hold you accountable for that. I don't need right. to know what's in your heart. I need to know what you're doing with what's okay. in your heart. I, I thought about this. This is really synonymous to uh, hanging black people back in the day, and it was okay. It was just a part of the, it was understood. It was, you know, it was just what they did. And to right. me, this is synonymous. Right. And nobody pays for that. Yeah. And I was thinking about that when I thought about this. If if justice was served when these policemen murdered these innocent, unarmed men and women, because they so-called were afraid, if justice was served properly, you, I love your response. It will begin. It will begin to change. It will send a message. You just can't kill another human being, exactly, just because you're wearing a badge and it'd be okay. You just can't do that. And so I, I would add then that it's both. It's from the bottom up and from the top down. Yeah, I think that that's what upsets people more than anything. Absolutely, like hanging somebody with, with no no justice. I mean, we, we want to see the accountability. We know, I mean, nothing may necessarily be changing in the way we see or perceive, but when we know that there are parameters in place to govern our behavior, that's all we want. And we're seeing this at the highest level at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to, we're, and, and for me, that's why a lot of this stuff is happening, is that we're at the highest level, there doesn't appear to be any accountability for mm-hmm. bad behavior. And mm-hmm. so, therefore... The trickle down effect is well, hell, if they're doing this in Washington, then I can do this in my in my hood, in my neck of the woods, and that has to change. and And I hope people will understand that their highest power is voting, and not just for the president of the United States, but in their local communities, and not mm-hmm. just voting, but getting involved and staying on their asses and making mm-hmm. them accountable. You work for us. Like you mm-hmm. work for us, athletic directors, you work for us, Mr. Councilwoman, Miss Councilwoman, you work for us, Mr. President, Miss President. That's the way that should go. And when people understand that, when people understand that these candidates work for us, these officers, these leaders of these companies work for the people. And the problem is, is that they haven't gotten that message because they haven't been held right. accountable. Right, right. And voting would say you don't get to you don't get to hold this office no more yep. and, and respond this way. Yep. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not. We're not gonna allow that. Nope. We're not gonna allow you that anymore. Use, your time's right. up. You yeah, you don't use your voice like that to to harm us after we put you in office or allowed you to be in office by our lack of participation. Exactly. Enough. That's my yep. that's my hashtag. Hashtag enough. Dr. Harris and I wrote a book called Bullyproof My Company, How to Squash Unproductive Behavior and Create a Culture Where Everyone Can Win. The part of Bullyproof My Company that really stands out as I look at what we're going through right now, Deborah, is the fact that we talk about behavior in companies, behaviors 
behaviors in organizations mm-hmm. happen because they are allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Like that is a powerful, a mm-hmm. powerful premise that if there's bullying going on right now in your athletic department on your teams, it is because that behavior has been allowed to continue. And the only way to eradicate that behavior is accountability, training, training, because sometimes people are just doing what they do and, and nobody stops them. Nobody says that there's something wrong with that, that it's impairing where we're trying to go. And so they continue to do it. And so this whole notion that if you're watching what you're watching right now is happening because it has been allowed to do so. But let's take this down to a, a more of a micro issue in your family. In your family right now, there are things that are happening that may not be for the betterment of the family because they have been allowed to, they've been allowed to happen and nobody said anything. In your role at work, same thing. Those things have been allowed. That's why they continue in your community, in your schools. The things that are happening are things that have been, they have been blessed. I know it's hard for people to hear that, that those behaviors have been blessed as okay, and therefore they continue. And if you want to... You said right there. Yeah. Rewarded is what I've been thinking the whole time yeah. when you do it. Allowed and rewarded. Yeah. Because when you allow it, you're saying it's okay, that's reward to just keep doing it. Yeah. And so you said blessed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's been blessed. It's It's been christened. Mm-hmm. Bullying behavior has been christened a lot. I was actually having this conversation yesterday with some executives mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how in companies, in organizations, in athletic departments, you see these things, people, and it's it's the subtle stuff. And we talk about this in Bulletproof My Company. It's the subtle stuff. It's making a comment. Well, I don't like Dr. De- I don't like Dr. Deborah. You know, she blah, 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 blah. And instead of saying, you know, that hasn't been my experience with Deborah. We right. just sit there. Right. A lot of people just sit there and listen. And, and that's how bullies do what they do. They impose their will and impose their dominant, you know, paradigm on people because they know most people will not stand up for themselves, let alone for other people. So if more people would stand up, we could, we could get this done. Right. We could get, we could get it done. But what we do is we're so afraid of not being with the popular people. We're so afraid of not being with the popular group. And this Mm -hmm. is for my white friends and my black friends, because my white Mm -hmm. friends have told me and admitted that they do this, that when they're there with their white friends and they hear things, oh, these are just terrible. I go, did you say anything? Did you say anything? Mm -hmm. I know you did. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Did you say anything? Uh, no, I did not. Okay, then don't come to me talking about how terrible it was when you were at your, your white party. Don't tell me. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. black friends, I'm sitting there, you know, you're saying this stuff about people. And I'm like, you let them say that about so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you didn't say anything? Well, you know, you know how they are. I'm, they gonna, and both sides are saying, we can't change this. Right. You know how people are. And I'm saying that you can change it. That one yeah. person standing up, that everything, every major movement in this country started with one person saying enough, mm-hmm. enough. And so be the person who says enough. Yeah. And, even and I like to speak to that. Yeah. The, uh, the our country, when you mentioned, I've been thinking, whole, this is a bully. This is our, that's our, that's our name. That's our MO. Yeah. That's how we, that's how we came to be. Every, that's how this country grew. That's how we flourished. We bullied people. We took their stuff, made it ours, and then told the story and wrote the history the way we chose to. Mm. So it 
it's just a part of the DNA of this place. And so bullying is 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 rewarded. It is uh, it is uh, what you call it is praise. People love you know as much as you don't want nobody running your life. When somebody like stands up and like dominates, that's you know when yeah. people rape. We applaud say, it. Yeah. We applaud it. That's that's what we do. So that's a part. And then to be a dissenter, that is that is not popular. People are going to victimize you for doing it, and people fear being that person to be on the out. But if, it, if it's important enough to you, if it means enough to you, if you want something to change, you got to be willing to take that risk. Got to take Period. the hit. Yep, got to take the hit. There are people listening to us right now wondering, how can I help? What can I do? And you're hearing all kinds of great ideas and great ways that you can get in the fight because it is a fight. It is a war, mm-hmm. what we're mm-hmm. fighting for. And the thing is, pick pick where you're going to get in. I have yeah. chosen my I've chosen my stance and it means I'm not popular all the time. It means that people think I'm a, a rebel, I'm a maverick or whatever, but I would <laughs> rebel rouser. I would rather be that than to be the person who uh, who lets people just crap on the country and the space and the communities that I love. I'm just not going to do it. So yeah. figure out how you can help, whether that's petitioning, marching, writing letters, going to meet your congressperson, stepping up and standing up in a family conversation. There are many ways to help. And I'm going to put that I'll put some resources in the area where you're listening to this particular interview, but you can do it. Get in the fight. If you, we want this country to be different and better then we have to participate in that transformation. Any final thoughts? I don't enjoy these kinds of things because I get so tired of the fire, you know, putting out fires. I, I like to be proactive in, in the way I approach stuff, but you know, when something happens, you got to deal with it when it does. And so, yeah, you will, my, Website is howtolove.us. My number uh, to be reached is 800-361-9068. And you put my calendar up there. Someone needs to have a conversation or need some consultations or coaching, something like that. Um, I'm, I'm available for that because I, I know, again, I've spent 15 years teaching inclusion and diversity uh, to people who were supposed to learn how to treat people. I'm, I'm up for this. So. Just uh, have them reach out in that way, and I'll do whatever I can and support in whatever way I need to for even things that you're doing. That was Dr. Deborah Harris, who has 30 years, 30 plus years in diversity and inclusion as a therapist and is a great resource for anybody, any organization out there looking for solutions and willing to get in the fight to make this a better place for all of us. You can reach her at the information that you see on this page or the information that she gave in the interview. And um, we look forward to continuing the dialogue. Make sure that you understand that there are many things you can do. Get in where you fit in. Every little bit counts. Every little bit makes a difference. I'm Fran Harris. You can find out more about me and connect with me on LinkedIn at Fran Harris, or you can go to FranHarris.com. I can also be reached at 888-273-0151. Let's do this together. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. I just want to tell you that you have such a tremendous opportunity to make a greater splash in the world. What we've done as athletes, not everyone can do. Most of us understand that. But unfortunately, too few of us are leaving a lot of impact, influence, and income on the table. 
If you want to learn how we help athletes create and build the careers and businesses of their dreams, visit athletesmeanbusiness.com. I'm 100% sure you'll be glad you did. I'm Fran Harris, and I can't wait to help you become an athlete who means business. See you soon.